Don't look now. Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman, uh, coming to you every week on Tuesday with a new story or, uh, I guess, interesting tidbit from history or pop culture or the sciences or whatever it is we feel like. Um, as always, Jenny is aware of our topic. I am not. So, <laughs> Jenny, what are we what are we talking about this week? We're going to leave Italy. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Let's go to Africa. Africa. Okay. And I'm going to tell you a monster story. Ah, African monsters, huh? Yeah. So it's this particular story is pretty contemporary in that as recently as 2015, there's been a sighting. Nice. I do not know my African cryptids, so. Oh, sir. Here's the fun part. It's not a cryptid. All it's right. a real life thing. Okay. Now this sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it happens in uh, a part of Africa that I think is just one of the most biologically interesting portions. You know, I said what I said. I mean it. Um, so basically, it takes place on the northeastern shores of Lake Tanganyika in the Burundi. Um, so Lake Tanganyika is the second oldest freshwater lake in the world. It's the largest in volume, the second deepest, and it's shared between four countries because it's super long. Nice. So the countries are Tanzania, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Burundi, and Zambia. Okay. So super diverse wildlife situation. And the lake supplies 60% of this these four countries' animal protein intake because it's got so much freshwater fish and stuff in it. Okay. And it's super important food source. It's also a major transportation source, and it's got a lot of ports along the way. Um, if you don't know anything about this region, <laughs> it's super unsafe to outsiders. Um, <laughs> it's often in con conflict, even with each other, it's not safe. Uh, there's ongoing warfare and genocide, and there's frequent conflicts that result in poverty, food insecurity, illnesses, and obviously death related to those things. So this political strife, though, has a lot of deep roots. And this is all important to this story, I promise you. So the civil war that started in this area um, goes back 600 years between the Hutu and the Tutsis who live in a fairly harmonious manner. And then about 600 years ago, the Tutsis moved from Ethiopia into the Hutu region where they conquer the Hutus who couldn't fight back really sustainably. So what they did was strike kind of this uneasy truce where they started farming for the Tutsis in return, they got like a protection order from them. Okay. So for a while, things were kind of going well. Um, they live together, they share common language, they start to intermarry, they all obey this king who is kind of like a godlike figure who's a Tutsi king. Um, but then in 1962, the monarchy is dissolved and Belgium withdraws from Africa and there's a huge power vacuum. And basically this region has been in conflict since then. Um, yeah. You know, the Democratic Republic of the Congo is kind of famous for being a 
utter hot mess. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. starting, it's, starting obviously with Belgium and the horrors they inflicted, but right. Uh, yeah. Belgium like created a King Leopold was a douchebag yeah. and shit. Lots of problems. Um, so monarchy dissolves, there's a power vacuum and they start to separate and they start to fight each other. And then they try to instate their own leaders. And then Rwanda becomes dominated by the Hutus. The Burundi is dominated by the Tutsis. And there's decades of just interfighting between these two ethnic groups that takes place from there forward. Things really come to a head in 1994 when Rwanda entered the civil war and hundreds of thousands of Tutsis and Hutus were killed. Um, the Tutsi rebels come into control and so then the, the Hutus flee to Zaire and Tanzania. Then wild turn of events, they have their first ever democratic election and they're in a Tutsi controlled area, but a Hutu man gets elected. <laughs> no big shocker here. He's assassinated within four months and the guy that replaces him is then killed not much later <laughs> in a very suspicious plane crash, as well as um, the Hutu leader that was surviving from the clan. So, in general, yeah. political strife, lots of people are getting murdered, lots of people have been killed, a lot of people run away, they go missing, um, especially women and children were really targeted in this because that is easy prey for these scenarios. Okay. So we have our whole scenario set up That's and good. now it's time to talk about the serial killing crocodile of Lake Tanzania, Tanganyika. His name is Gustav. Gustav. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I, you know. I don't think, yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Um, he was named after somebody that studies him. Okay. So the first reports of Gustav surface in 1987. Villagers on the northeastern shores of Lake Tanganyika report being attacked by a large vicious crocodile. Okay. That already scares me. Crocodiles are a little a little much. They they're just wild. They'll do anything. They climb trees. I mean <laughs> so the reports about this large vicious crocodile kind of sporadically continue through the late 80s, early 90s until there's a bunch of violent conflicts in the area, which things just kind of go to hell in a handbasket at that point in that area. So in general, we know during 94, when Rwanda entered the civil war, it's just a hotbed of bloodshed, right? Yeah. And one of the things was that there was that Rwandan genocide and hundreds of thousands of people are left dead. And in the aftermath of this conflict, military leaders ordered a lot of the bodies of victims to be thrown into surrounding rivers, um, including the Ruzizi River, which is where the Nile crocodiles of the region yeah. start to feed off of these, yeah. these prey. Um, and the taste for people, huh? Yeah. And they start to kill off other species in the area. So they become kind of the dominant like species and the ecology balance is kind of screwed up. Okay, so that's just general, we got a crocodile problem situation starting. Gustav 
is estimated to be at least 18 feet long, over 2,000 pounds, and is potentially more than 100 years old. Um, and witnesses say that the crocodile, they think that is this crocodile, because he has a pretty specific <laughs> description, <laughs> yeah. um, has a full set of teeth, which means he's still pretty young, actually. Um, okay. Nile crocodiles can live to be over 100. And he's just freaking massive. So they think that if he still has all of his teeth, he's about 60, he's still growing. He comes out in the daylight. It's totally a silent attack. And you don't even see him because he blends in. In fact, there's a local story that he grows grass on his head. Like <laughs> there's a spot that he can grow grass on his head. And so he just blends into the background and you can't even see him. He just is there all of a sudden. And these things move really quickly too. Yeah. But what he's known for is after he strikes, they find the bodies on the banks of the Tanganyika. He doesn't <laughs> eat them. He just attacks them and leaves them. Oh, nice. It's estimated that he's probably killed over 300 people in this manner. Jeez. Those are the bodies they found. So in an effort to kind of end the fear, the suffering, and truly to learn more about this damn crocodile, um, a researcher comes in to look at him. But in the meantime, in these years before the researcher gets there, here's some fun facts about what has happened to this crocodile. Locals have shot at it with their guns. Yeah. Soldiers have gone after it with AK-47s. Um, it's got multiple bullet wounds like that you can see. Like I said, he's got a pretty known uh, description. <laughs> got a big old scar on his shoulder where they think someone tried to attack him with a spear at one point. Um, but nothing ever seems to really injure it that badly. Yeah. He just kind of sinks away like, okay. I guess I'll go away. And then waits, bides his time, looking for somebody walking alone, taking a bath in the water and attacks. Um, so <laughs> one of my favorite things that I read in an article about him is the most enduring aspect of the croc in his habit of dragging people into the water just to watch them drown has led some to assume that the homicidal crocodilian kills reasons other than needing to eat, like practicing how to hunt or perhaps more likely, he's an asshole. <laughs> I don't know why, but this this is reminding me of uh, Tilikum, the the orca at SeaWorld that uh, had multiple instances of drowning people. He definitely was not attempting to eat anyone. He just just being an asshole and killing people. Yeah, just like to pull people underwater and drown them. But you know, yeah, that's about this. Yep. Mm -hmm. So this. Crocodile's huge, right? Massive. He's so big, he hunts and kills hippos. And I don't know if you've ever heard about hippo hunting, but when poachers are trying to kill hippos, they have to use rocket launchers. Yeah, hippos are hippos are scary stuff. Yeah, not for him. Um, another thing, though, is that... So we've seen that they, he can kill a hippo that you have to use a rocket launcher for. Yeah. Some enterprising young gentlemen um, definitely 
once shot at him with an RPG. <laughs> um, it was supposedly he was angling for a promotion. He thought that if he could kill the giant crocodile, that he'd get a promotion in the army and, yeah. you know, be doing better. But what they've learned over time is that he is so big and his skin is so thick that he's basically bulletproof. Jeez. So you can't kill him. He just keeps getting bigger. He keeps attacking. The only way that um, people are able to get away from him or scare him off is when they throw grenades in the water near him. <laughs> just some depth charges now, yeah. Yeah, it's the only way that they can distract him enough to get away. So he can go months without eating. So we know he doesn't eat his victims always. He probably has eaten some, but if he can go months without doing it, that's why people don't see him very often. And yeah. we're talking about a huge lake that he can just up and down the coast. So sometimes they don't see him for a while and then he reappears in a dead body. So um, basically fishermen and children are the easiest prey. And in order to capture human prey, what he does is use his tail and kills them by suffocating them with his tail. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Uh, he's also been responsible for the death of an employee of the Russian embassy. Uh, she was visiting and bathing in the water and took her out. His fame kind of grew to the apex in 2010 when French hunter Patrice Fay uh, tried to capture the reptile using a large crocodile trap. It did not work. Uh, and in a note to the BBC, he says that Gustav is very smart and his survival instinct leaves nothing to be desired. So at this point, this dude becomes obsessed with this crocodile. He's the one that named Gustav, by the way. Okay. So for two years, Faye studies the possibilities. He creates a documentary called Capturing the Killer Croc, which airs in 2014. And they record a bunch of the several, a bunch of several, a, they record several capture attempts. There you go. Words are hard. Uh, in the first attempt, they have a giant cage that weighed a ton, literally. It's about nine meters long. They put a bunch of different baits inside the cage, but nothing attracted Gustav or anything. And then they installed three giant traps in strategic places along the river bank to increase their chances of capture. Uh, but they only kind of capture some smaller crocodiles. They don't capture Gustav. And then in the last week before leaving the country, the team's like, let's get a live goat because that's what you do. <laughs> We're going to pull a Jurassic Park here. Yeah, exactly. That's the first thing that cropped to mind, but yeah. Right. Well, it gets even better. Um, so they have this live goat. They put it in a cage and in the night during a storm, the camera breaks. <laughs> they have no idea what happens, but the next morning they find the cage partially submerged and the goat is missing. They have no idea what happened. <laughs> nice. Super Jurassic Park. So all of their attempts to capture him are totally unsuccessful. They can't tag him because they can't pierce his hide. Um, and there's evidence that he's there, but they don't capture him. However, Faye is turned into a national hero because he's just this like crazy person that has determined that he's <laughs> going to bring back this big game. And like, he's so obsessed. Uh, but later that year, instead of trying to capture and kill the crocodile, he decides he's going to start to study him. 
So to achieve this, he gets help from the Burundi residents themselves who spend all their time near the lake and starts to follow Gustav as he goes up and down um, the riverbanks. And he gives a bunch of the residents cell phones and asks them to be like, you know, call me if you see him and I will come running down and we'll check this out together. Meanwhile, the informants are like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll call, we'll call you. We definitely won't try to shoot this animal on our own. Yeah. So they tried to shoot the animal on their own, but as discussed, he's bulletproof and that did not work. Um, so they now have this analysis of the animal's trajectory and then they kind of think, okay, so if this is a seasonal traveling animal, this is what we can do. We can look at the deaths and determine, you know, what deaths seem likely attributed to this particular animal and then kind of extrapolate data from there. So they concluded that in three months, 17 people were killed. And if he worked at that rate consistently for 20 years, he would have already eaten more than 300 people. Impressive. Right? So they think that the menu based on human beings is because of how big and how slow he is because human beings are notoriously slow. Um, It's not really a matter of personal taste, but more humans are easy to find um, for body weight ratio. Yeah, it's reminding me a whole lot of the whole ghost in the darkness incident with the lions. That yeah, yeah. Most, man- most man-eating lions are man-eaters because they basically got problems with their teeth or they can't hunt anymore. And easy, you know, humans are easy, so yep. they turn to picking off people. Well, uh, many people, even though they know that there's a giant man-eating crocodile, still do things like bathe in the water. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so in a lot of Central Africa, it's Gustav is considered a cryptid uh, because people can't believe that this is really true, even though there is photographic proof of him on the Internet. And like most, you know, a lot of people will liken it to Loch Ness Monster or to the Mothman. Um, Excuse me. He's even been called the Demon Croc. And there's all sorts of like theories and allegations and cultural interest behind that. In 2007, he's the inspiration for a low-budget horror film called Primeval. Um, the film highlights the most salacious allegations against him, that he's responsible for over 300 deaths. He's one of the most prolific killers in history, that kind of shit. Yeah. You know, movie is a beef film, so you should watch it. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater style. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. The kids would be up for that. They've been binging on sounds amazing. horrible movies these days, so... I love horrible movies. So people think that he's basically gone at this point. Um, He kind of fades away from, you know, public eye for a period of time and then resurfaces every once in a while. In 2009, after a long period of inactivity, Patrice Faye says that um, Gustav had been spotted west of the Ruzizi Delta. So he just was really working his way around that lake. And then in June of 2015, after a really long period of time, so spotted in 2009 and then not again until 2015, um, there were a handful of unconfirmed sightings claiming that he was spotted dragging an adult buffalo into the riverbank. 
all in all, the story remains unsolved. <laughs> so why do we care about these kinds of stories, right? Uh, I would like to use a really fun, recent documentary for an example. So there's a documentary that came out this year on Hulu called Sasquatch. Yeah. In it, they use the story of a Sasquatch to elicit fear. Um, in this story, Sasquatch kills some marijuana farmers in Northern California. The story kind of is, is that the workers are all hanging out together at the end of the day after working. And a couple guys come into the house and say something along the lines of they found some dead bodies in the woods and they were killed by Sasquatch. So what this did for this region at that time, bunch of dudes super high was that it scared the hell out of them. So mm-hmm. they didn't often wander outside of their known territory. Yeah. So it helped keep these farms hidden and protected. The plot of the documentary is to uncover what happened. Did Sasquatch really kill these guys? So they even pull in big guns and reveal the Patterson footage, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's yeah, that's the, the classic Bigfoot walking, walking yeah. along the tree line back, you know, with his nice little strut, but yeah. So they got the guy that, was in the suit for yep. that to go on camera and say, yeah, I wore the suit. And then the guy that filmed it saying, no, he didn't. That wasn't a suit. And then the guy's like showing you the suit. It's, it's <laughs> solid cinematography. Uh, but it's more just kind of this story. That is the important part of it that like they yep. use the story of the Sasquatch to scare people. Um, I'm not going to spoil for you what happens in the documentary, but it's, it's not worth watching. Anyhow, um, so stories of cryptids are really important and stories of monsters are really important for actually conservation reasons. Yeah. So first, the process of mapping out the world's species species isn't really finished. Conservationists want to aim to protect and preserve known plants and animals, but it's not always appreciated how many remain undescribed by science. So since 1993, more than 400 new mammals have been identified Um, usually in areas with rapid habitat destruction. So that's something that's really been affecting our biological discoveries lately. And we're entering this new age of discovery in biology. So part of that is, is that species are reaching rates comparable to the golden era of global exploration um, and collections. So we've got tons of people out there looking again, you know, back 18th century style. And then there's, And methods like DNA barcoding, which allow you to speciate a lot quicker. So it used to be like people would draw it out and then just like hash out. Are they really that different? Is it still part of the same species? But now you can do DNA testing and speciate them a lot quicker. Okay. So there's um, a recent mathematical model that predicts at least 160 land mammal species and 30,000 amphibian species remain to be discovered and described. So um, predictions also suggest a large portion of undescribed species go extinct without ever being recorded or conserved at all. We may not even have fossil record of them. Yeah. Bummer. I know, right? That is kind of a bummer. The father of cryptozoology argues that his name's Bernard Huvelmans um, argues that there's great days of zoology are not quite done yet. A lot of species remain undiscovered. Um, so there's that idea that there are still, and there are still animals out there that exist that we just haven't found yet. Cause there's just so much biodiversity that 
is out there. Um, the problem with cryptozoology specifically, though, is the rampant speculation uh, and unconventional surveying methods. <laughs> it's kind of like ghost hunting. It's not super. Yeah. <laughs> so they're only in these places overnight, I swear to God, when they go look for things. Yeah. And the controversial new findings that we do get, though, are what inspire people to go out and get to the next thing. Um so there was an example of the spiral horned ox. It had never been seen by scientists and it was only known from a few horns that were found in a market in Vietnam. And basically there was a big old debate between zoologists about whether or not this ox ever existed. Uh, but so then they have local folklore, folklore, they have these horns they did find, but it was never enough to make a solid case. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what they have to think about is what's the actual process of identification. So it's actually really helping science. The second reason that we should not automatically discount cryptozoology is just because we have never seen it before doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So like an example is the hobbits that were found on the Isle of Flores, uh, their Homo floriensensis. Mm -hmm. So there's a species, a genus of human, that are like mini. Yep. And it's interesting because there have been stories in this area about the hobbits for a hundred thousand years. I mean, yep. there's like verbal stories about the wild men in this area that are we little people didn't find it, didn't find it, didn't find it. Then in 2003, we found a cave full of bones of about like 70 specimens. Yep. So they did exist and they actually cohabitated with humans but I'll be really honest. If we have stories that are being passed on for a hundred thousand years, man, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So I don't remember what that whole point was about, but moving on. <laughs> the third way that cryptozoology can contribute to conservationism is just creating that sense of wonder. So from the conservation perspective, there is something that we get out of Bigfoot hunters and Nessie telling these stories of the strange and the weird um, because it helps keep these things alive and helps keep people interested in preserving the ecology. Like where Loch Ness is, it's a beautiful area, but also the Bigfoot, or not Bigfoot, but the Nessie hunters also help preserve the ecology because they want to keep a pristine area for Nessie. Yeah. Should she pop up? Anyhow, let's go down a rabbit hole because that wasn't enough of a rabbit hole yet. Crocodiles. <laughs> crocodiles have the strongest bite in the animal kingdom, and the Nile crocodile is no different. Its bite can exert a force eight times more powerful than that of a great white shark and 15 times more powerful than a Rottweiler. Um, it's interesting, though, because the muscles on a crocodile actually create more force to close than they do to open. Yep, that's the thing you always hear about keeping their mouth pinned shut, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then female crocodiles exhibit impressive amounts of maternal care. They use their massive jaws to transport newly hatched young to a nursery pool, and then they guard them from predators. This is one I did not know. The sex of a crocodile hatchling is determined by the temperature at which the egg eggs incubate. So if it's less than 30 degrees Celsius, they're most likely going to be female. At 31 degrees Celsius, they will be mixed. 
And at 32 degrees Celsius, they're mostly male. That is interesting. I've heard that before, but it seems like you'd be in trouble with various climatic conditions. <laughs> like going to suddenly have only one gender left. But... Right. It seemed very strange. I did. That's why I thought, okay, weird. Anywho, uh, crocodiles are the most vocal of reptiles. Uh, among more than five different calls, they have a deep vibrating bellow of courting males, peeping babies in the egg, and they think that the peeping eggs are what, like when they start to peep, that's what encourages the female to evacuate the, the nest and move them somewhere safer. And finally, large crocodiles swallow stones called gastroliths. So that gastrolith acts as a ballast in their stomach and helps them to balance underwater. Nice. These are the things we learned about crocodiles today. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I... I just have a, a limited alligator experience from living in Florida, which was always interesting. So, yes, you definitely got used Did to you alligators. Have any close encounters with the alligator kind. Well, there were alligators everywhere. So, I mean, you just got used to the fact that they were just there. And I remember going out to like the black hammock area and you just would sit out at the outdoor table and, you know, eat dinner and the alligator would be about four or five feet away. They just sit on the side of the, the lake there and chill. And you just kind of got used to it just, being an animal that was around, you know, the, the small ones are pretty shy. So they don't, you know, they are afraid of people, but you know, if it gets, you get the really big ones, they're scary, but they, they generally are, you know, rarer and people watch out for them. But yeah, that was I still say my, my big first experience, you know, cause you're always like, Ooh, I want to see an alligator. And we got there and went to a local park and everybody, you know, there's a little river thing going through it and everybody's fishing and you know boating around in it and everything else and you know i just always say that yeah i saw this you know stick floating downstream and then i realized the stick was floating upstream and then realized that's that's not a stick that's that's got eyes and realized yeah it was just you know an alligator and everybody's just nobody cares <laughs> everybody's just boating around as an outsider you're like oh my god there's an alligator get out of the water and yeah people still wading around doing whatever because Unless it's huge, no one really no one really pays attention. So, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock. But yeah, that describes my first experience with an alligator as well. We were doing archaeology in South Carolina at a park, and there was a sign that up that said "Beware of alligators in the park." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> sure." Next thing I knew, there was like a twelve foot just, just yeah. coming at us, and like. Yeah. He would hang out in the trees near the shore and near the water. And it made me very anxious fairly often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did name him Ignatius though, because he just was around a lot. So he needed a name. Yeah. 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 No, but yeah, it was just a, a very weird kind of thing to get used to. I mean, eventually you just get used to it and there's just alligators around and they're just, you know. That seems like a weird thing to just eventually get used to. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. Get used to the fact that there are little anole lizards everywhere that, you know, crawl into your house and get in everything and, you know, find random tails under your furniture. And, you know, it's like, hey, great. Oh, yeah. No, no, sorry. Yeah. That just sounds terrible. But yeah, there's a favorite thing with those. I mean, they're these little lizards and kids love to take them and like clip them on their ears, like, you know, 
clip-on earrings, so they'll have like a lizard on dangling from either ear and run around. And you know, is that like a what kind of lizard is that? Like a skank or something? Yeah, it's a it's a, officially a, an anole or anole. It's a n o l e. I never know whether to pronounce the e or not at the end, but right. yeah, um, yeah, they they look like a little, you know, a little skink type thing. But yeah, they're just about you know three four inches long, and they're just everywhere. It's like. It's like in the height of the summer when grasshoppers scatter out of the bush. Anytime you get anywhere near it, they're they're kind of like that. They're just just everywhere, and people just play with them. You know. Well, it's kind of like the little tree frogs that grow in Manhattan everywhere, right? Like, yeah. Yep. It sit on doors and wait for you. It's always the person that's freaked out by them too that they seem to like congregate near. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, we had a gecko that liked to hang out on our window in Florida too. It would just. Just get up and look out there and he'd be suction cupped on. You're like, oh, there's the gecko. All right. Oh, look, there he is. You know, people pay a lot of money to have those as pets. Yeah. I love the stories at like when the first frost hit, when they're like, oh, yeah, lizards are starting to fall out of trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beware the falling lizards. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is some hellfire situation, friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The big thing in Florida that mostly bothered people was the flying cockroaches. They yeah, no, that would bother the shit out of me. Yeah, they had the, aka the palmetto bug, which is basically cool. just a giant ass flying cockroach. So, it, first time you're sitting there and a giant cockroach flies out of the sky and lands right in front of you, you're kind of like, ah! you know, yeah, 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 no, no, thank you. Yep. I dislike that. That's gross. Yeah, things about the size of a credit card. You know, it's just like you're like, whoa, yeah. I know that in hot, humid places, there tends to be more biodiversity because, you know, yeah, green things. But <laughs> <laughs> there's there's something to be said for living somewhere where there's a frost. But, yeah. 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 I do like not having mosquitoes and stuff. Although I think of places like Australia where they have really weird temperature variation, but they have a huge amount of biodiversity. Yeah. Everything there can kill you, essentially. But also, yeah. they, they tease you that that's such an American thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> but my, you know, my kids are simultaneously obsessed and terrified of Australia. So, you know, it's... Oh, man. I get it. There is awesome, but I'm also terrified to actually go there because something will kill me, you know. I don't know. They have monotremes. I'm super interested. I'd like to yep. go learn more. Yep. Time to go get yourself a platypus. I know. I think it's fantastic. I don't know that many like hairy animals that lay eggs. Uh, yes. So I think we should learn everything we can about them. I think there's lays there's eggs, nothing. has a bill, is poisonous, and you know it's like what the hell? <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Just yeah, wild. It's just wild, and they're the cutest little things. The babies, they're just. Yeah, I was little, just looking little. up puggles the other day. That was fun. You want something cute? Go Google puggles sometime. Yes. I love it. Oh, Australia. You're just wild. <laughs> the whole time I was doing the research for this one, I kept thinking, so basically this guy thinks he's Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. That's essentially all I got out of the, the, all this reading today. <laughs> yep. Sounds like a Frenchman LARPing as, you know, Crocodile Dundee is kind of what's going on here. But well, yeah. And it's funny because it started about the same time that Crocodile Dundee would have been in popular culture because that was 80... Five ish, maybe. Yeah, or sometime, sometime mid to late eighties. I don't remember when the first one came out, but yeah. So yeah, it would have been around the same time. 
that that happened. And then he pops up as the French crocodile Dundee. <laughs> I don't know. Anyhow, that's my story. Yeah, no, cool. No, I did not know about Gustav. So now I'm going to have to check him out. But Gustav, the serial killing alligator, or sorry, crocodile. So yeah, someone sent me a TikTok. That's how this started. <laughs> um, where someone was telling a 30 second clip about what was going on. And I was just like, what? <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about the cocaine bear in Southern part of the United States. They did nope. an episode on him for my hey, favorite partner. <sighs> Man, if you want to listen to a wackadoo story, that's a good one. I'll have to, I have to look that up. <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the story. And thank you, everyone, for listening this week. Uh, we will see you all next week. In the meantime, feel free to rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends, and we will catch you all later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.